Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. Hello again, friends, and welcome on into episode 31 of The Sco Show, proudly a part of the Pat's Pulpit Podcast Network and brought to you, as always, by the great folks at SB Nation. I am Mark Schofield, back in the big chair for today, Wednesday, October 23rd, getting closer to Halloween. Hope you kids get your costumes picked out and we get another loaded show for you. Of course, we've got some news to break down here. We're going to do that in a second. And on quality time today, we're going to spend some quality time with my favorite people in the world. You, the listener. That's right. I opened up the mailbag for the first time, got some questions from the Twitter machine and a whole host of questions from the Sco Show Slack channel, which I'm going to get to. So I'm excited to do that. But before we do that, of course, our usual cavalcade of reminders. Please do check out the work places like InsideThePylon.com. Matt Waldman's Rookie Scouting Portfolio, Pro Football Weekly, where I cover the one and only Mitchell Trubisky, and we're going to talk about young Mitchell Trubisky during the quality time segment. Of course, the SB Nation websites, Big Blue View, where I had a piece up over on Big Blue View on Tuesday about Daniel Jones and his eight sacks and how many of them were actually his fault. You can check that out. Of course, Bleeding Green Nation, where I co-host the QB Sco Show. It's kind of... Outside of my Patriots coverage, I'm covering the Giants, I'm covering the Eagles, and I'm covering Mitchell Trubisky this season. I guess you could say, look, I also cover the Minnesota Golden Gophers for the Rivals Network, and they're doing well. They could go 8-0 for the first time since, I think, the, the Coolidge administration, maybe? It's been a while. But yeah, awkward, awkward years when it comes to the teams that I cover. But hey, the Patriots are rolling, so that's good. And as always, look, you can follow along with the hijinks on Twitter at Mark Schofield. So let's talk about your boy's life for a moment. Because like many of you, Patriots get done winning a Monday night game. Maybe you're a little keyed up in the atmosphere after a big win. Maybe you're up a little late. You don't sleep so well that night. I had to do a podcast, which hopefully you all listened to. Numbers were pretty good. And then I wake up the morning and it's, well, the show I did last night is kind of stale. Why? The Patriots got receiver help via a trade with the Atlanta Falcons acquiring Mohamed Sanu from Rutgers, giving up a second round pick in the process. Now, what's interesting about the stuff that I do is I'm also involved with football guys and a bunch of different places that don't have the Patriots colored glasses that I wear. And so seeing the sort of national perspective on this was very interesting on Tuesday throughout the day. A lot of people saying this was an overpay. A lot of people saying, how is he going to fit in New England? Hasn't really run a Ernst Perkins type system. So the terminology might be tough. We've seen 
veteran acquisitions at the receiver position not work out. So I wanted to sort of start there. Was this an overpay? How could it work out from the sort of playbook realm? They gave up a second round pick, which sitting here, say, late October, looks like it's going to be in the 60s. Not exactly in the early to mid 30s. Okay. Doesn't look like the Patriots are going to be picking at 33. In all likelihood, this pick's going to be 61, 62, 63, 64. And so, from that perspective, I don't think it's an overpay, especially when, look, Sanu's under contract for the next two seasons. Patriots only paying a prorated portion of his salary for this year, and he's $6.5 million next year. So it's not like they gave up an early round pick, i.e. first round or early second round type of pick for him. And look at the picks that they are expected to still have going into next year's draft. They have a first rounder, of course. They have a third rounder. They're expected to get compensatory picks in the third round, one for Trent Brown, one for Trey Flowers. They have a fourth rounder a sixth rounder from Houston in the Keon Crossan trade, a sixth rounder from Denver in the Duke Dawson trade, a projected comp pick in the sixth round from Malcolm Brown, a projected comp pick in the sixth round from Cordell Patterson, a seventh rounder from Seattle, a seventh rounder from Atlanta, and a seventh rounder from the Eagles. That's a lot of picks. That's still 12 selections in next year's draft. And if you're worried, oh my gosh, they can't get a second rounder, they could probably get up and get themselves a second rounder. If that is exactly how the board falls for them, we can peek at that old handy trade value chart and see that you can package together some picks to get up into the second round if you're really anxious about doing that. And so from that perspective, I think this is going to be okay. Then to another thing that I saw in a couple of different corners of the internet, the the concern over picking up the playbook. And now... If you've followed my work on this show, when I did Locked on Patriots, you know that I sort of love talking about the Patriots playbook, and I love talking about the naming conventions, and we name a lot of stuff, go over a lot of stuff. We know Haas, you know, Juke, Horse, whatever, you know, and the naming conventions of the Patriots offense are pretty difficult. And so you might think at first blush, it would be tough for a sort of receiver to come into this system, have to pick up some of this terminology when you're suddenly stepping into a huddle and you hear a play call and it's unlike something you've heard before. I mean, the play call is something like double right close, two jet, F branch, nod, Z Zorro. And this this naming convention where it's not specifically saying what to do. It's these like little concepts that have a name to it, like Zorro or you know, branch. And you're like, wait, what do I do? Now, I threw a lot at you there, kind of to simulate what Muhammad Sanu might have to go through. But, dear listener, double right close to Jet F branch nod Z Zorro, that's a play from a Kyle Shanahan playbook when he was with Atlanta in 2016. And one of his receivers was Mohamed Sanu. And so I don't think this sort of concern over the playbook and the naming conventions and things like that is going to be that difficult because flipping through a Shanahan playbook, 
you get a lot of sort of naming conventions that are similar. There are concepts that I have to learn, but it might be a sort of situation where he sits down with somebody and says, look, this is what I'm familiar with. It's like, oh, okay, well, two jet FCO bow. Okay, well, that's smash in our system, for example. Oh, okay. So when I hear smash, I know that it's, I'm running a corner route because that's same as CO bow. And so I don't think that's as much of a concern as others are making it out to be. Now, what does he bring to the table right now in terms of forget the playbook, forget the cost, anything associated with the acquisition? What is Mohamed Sanu doing right now and will that help the New England Patriots? Because let's remember, the Patriots approach scouting, whether draft or pro scouting, what can this person do? And there's a great piece. This is one of those moments that I have every basically every hour in the football media world where you see something you're like, that is fantastic. Man, I wish I wrote that. But Evan Lazar, friend of the show, frequent guest, did a great breakdown of what Sanu brings to the table, looking at what he has done so far this season. And he makes the case, and I certainly agree with it, is that we're looking at Mohamed Sanu as a big slot, as more Nikhil Harry insurance than Josh Gordon insurance, because that was another thing I saw. People wondered, does this mean something about Gordon? Is his injury bad? Is some other shoe going to drop here? But Evan points out that the majority of his targets this season have come when he has been used as basically a big slot type player. Evan pulls in his piece for CLNS Media, a film review piece, breaking down the acquisition. He pulls his numbers from next-gen stats, his route chart. And as Evan says in his piece, Senu ran 78% of his routes out of the slot. 78%. He's a big slot guy, 6'2", but they're using him out of the slot. And a lot of his routes are crossers, routes break into the middle of the field. They will use him on the boundary, but often when you see him working on the outside, they're quick routes to the flat. Number of his routes are really just curls, in-breaking routes, digs, and crossers. And do those sound like routes where the New England Patriots are often running? You know, I sort of sat down and watched some of his film from 2019, and I came away with the impression that you know one of New England's favorite play-action plays right now as a team. 21 personnel. Inside run fake to Michelle, cross and route, skinny post to Julian Edelman, right? I saw a number of examples like that, working off of play action. That sort of glance route, or that band eight route on the backside or the front side of it even. He can step in and do that right away. But they can also use him on the boundary because just because Atlanta was using him primarily out of the slot, doesn't mean that the Patriots will view him the same way. He's got size. He's got length. He's a great route runner. Evan highlights the fact that he wins with sort of smarts and footwork. He's not going to run away from people right now. But he wins with smarts. He wins with footwork. He can find the soft spots versus zone. He can wiggle away at times from man coverage. So he's effective versus both. And so I think the Patriots are going to move him around a bit. I expect him to see some work, certainly as a big slot. 
But I think there will be times when they'll have him on the outside with Edelman inside of him. They can do some things with those guys, some switch concepts. Some stacks with them might be dangerous too, where he can sort of create some traffic for Edelman. Look, because now Edelman's playing with guys. Jacoby Myers is probably the biggest receiver he's playing with. You know, when you look at Gunner and you look at Philip Dorsett, now Sanu, a little bit of a bigger body, creates a little bit more space for him. And so you put this all together, I think it's a fantastic acquisition from New England. We know they needed some help in the passing game. They got it. It's insurance for Harry. It's in, in a sense, it's insurance for Gordon. Although I don't think this tells us that they're worried about Gordon. I think this is more, look, we get a chance to acquire a player that can help us for this year and next. And so I think it's a fantastic move. I probably would have said that no matter what, but I think this is a good one. I know some people are saying, was it him or Emmanuel Sanders? One guy's coming off an injury. The other's good to go. I think that says a lot. So those are my thoughts on this new move. Up next, quality time with you, the gentle listener to the Sco Show. That is ahead on this 31st installment of the Sco Show. This is advertiser content brought to you by Frito-Lay. Hello, I'm Chip Murphy, here to get you ready for the big tournament. Tonight we'll break down... We break down who will be cutting... Cut! What are you two doing? Sorry, Chip. Prez here got his feathers ruffled when I told him Ruffles has zero chance of winning the title. And I was letting Dip know that she is not taking into account Ruffles' iconic ridges. Guys, it's March. We have to start talking about the tournament. We are. It is the 2023 Frito-Lay Snack-It. We're talking about big-time matchups between Cheetos, Smart Food, Lay's, Sun Chips, and more. Just head to the Frito-Lay Snack Bracket and vote for your favorite chip, pretzel, or dip for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. This sounds great. Keep up the good work. Just go to frito No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends 4-3-2023. Void wherever hidden. Here's worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Mark Schofield back with you now on this 31st installment of the Sco Show. And it's time for quality time. And normally we have an actual guest, but today we're working on a short week. I didn't think it was going to be okay if I could get somebody lined up to talk about the game after a Monday nighter for a Wednesday show, you know, takes time to get the tape, you know, out and watched and things like that. So I thought this is a perfect time to have our quality time guest be you, the listener. So opened it up, opened up the old mailbag, got some questions on Twitter, got a bunch of you at the Sco Show Slack channel. Again, gentle nudge. If you'd like to be a part, always discussion going on there. Hit me up for an invite. At Mark Schofield on Twitter, mark.schofield at insidethepylon.com. And I got, like I said, a lot of questions there. We'll start John Limarakis, huge friend of the show. He's been on Locked On Patriots with me before. We had him on prior to the draft. He was our draft day guest, basically the pre-draft Thursday morning show last year. And who knows? Maybe one of you gentle listeners will be on in advance of next year's draft. Because that's right, we do draft season hard on this show. And his first question question is, after seven games now, what's your temperature on Sony Michelle? And lukewarm, I think, is probably the best way to put this. I like some of what they're doing with him. I like some of the ways he's running the ball between the tackles, particularly Monday night. I like some of the power he was showing at times. I like how they're trying to get him involved in the passing game as a receiver. They did that early against 
the Giants. Tried to get him a screen Monday night against the Jets. He dropped it. It's hard because in today's sort of world of NFL coverage and we sort of wonder about the value of running backs to view a first-round running back when maybe first-round running backs aren't the best use of draft capital. So it's hard not to view them through that prism. But every time, every once in a while when I feel myself sort of sliding back into that realm of looking at him, I remember, I'm reminded that he was their second first-round pick at the Bill Belichick zigs when everybody else zags. So maybe there is a plan for him going forward and they're trying to put it together right now. But the run game as a whole isn't a strength for this team right now. And whether it's the loss of David Andrews, the loss of Isaiah Wynn, some of the other issues that they've had offensively, the loss of Devlin, the loss of Jakob Johnson even, you know, the running game isn't good for anybody really. And so I'm still lukewarm on Michelle. Really want to see them get the run game going because you'd like to have that little bit extra to show teams on film and to rely on salt games away, you know, six minute drives and things like that. And so lukewarm, I'd like to be warmer on it, but as a function of life, can't always get what you want. Next question from John, who are your first round quarterbacks based on a limited in season view? And John mentions Tua, Tagovailoa, Joe Burrow, and Justin Herbert. And he also wonders QB one. Now, I mentioned Pro Football Weekly. I do do work over there. Again, I wrote Mitchell Trubisky the record in this week and kind of memed him up a bit. But last week, I had written my first sort of draft cycle pieces of this year, breaking down the top six quarterbacks into two different tiers. The first round guys as I view them, and then the early day two guys. And the early day two guys, and the guys I listed, Jalen Hurts, Jake Fromm, and Jordan Love from Utah State, there's potential for those guys to get into the first round. We're still hearing Tony Pawlenty, who does some work for uh, PFN Pro Football Network, he's been told that scouts love Jordan Love, pun intended, from a tools standpoint. Has a fantastic arm, arm talent for days. And so if he decides to come out, he might get into the first round. We see quarterbacks rise every single draft cycle. Fromm is an interesting name. Game manager type of quarterback doesn't blow you away, but does some of the small little things. Rippon-esque in a sense. And you know how I felt about Brett Rippon last season. Hurts is playing himself into the mix. If he has a he might see a rise similar to, you know, Kyler Murray last year, similar to Baker a year before. But I still view those three guys as more second rounders right now. Day two type quarterbacks. I think your top three are in some order, Tua, Burrow, and Herbert. And let's for a moment talk about the meteoric rise of Joe Burrow. Because when I studied him in this past summer, I thought there were some nice things about him. I thought it was going to be fun to watch him at the Senior Bowl. And he might be that guy that gets a little bit of buzz at some point. Some coaches are going to like him. And you'll hear him maybe called earlier in the third round than you would have expected because you probably thought he'd be a day three guy. If he goes into Tuscaloosa in a couple weeks and beats Alabama, Tua plays, if Tua plays or if Tua doesn't play, it doesn't matter. You're talking about going up against Saban and that defense, which is as close, a, as close as you will get to playing an NFL team as a college quarterback, at least from a schematic and talent standpoint. He might become QB1. 
at least in the eyes of some, and it only takes one. His rise has been incredible. And everybody I talk to, Connor Rogers has been on this show. Matt Wadsman and I have talked on the Quick Game, a podcast he and I do every other week about what Burrow has done to date. His rise is something else. And you see decisiveness. You see some stones from him. You see some velocity, some accuracy, some manipulation. His game against Texas, Joe Ferriola, who I've worked with over at Inside the Pylon, now works it over at NFL Next Gen. He studied that game, called it the cleanest prospect he's seen from a quarterback. Cleanest game from a quarterback prospect he's seen in a while. And I think he's got a point there. Now, it's just one game. There's a lot of football left to be played. And if he goes into Tuscaloosa and lays an egg and fades down the stretch, or if they struggle even this week you know, against Auburn, then maybe things change. But right now, he's moved himself into at least the first round, and he's knocking on the door of the top 10. You're seeing some mocks from the guys over at the Draft Network and elsewhere saying top 10 for him. And so he's certainly had a fantastic rise. Tua is a fascinating quarterback to study. And the evaluation process for him will be interesting because the talent, I mean, Ruggs and Judy, these guys are fantastic receivers. He's thrown to a lot of open guys, but so did Baker. So did Kyler. And I think if, if you look at him, the mechanics, the way he plays the position, the footwork, the crisp release, he's going to be, when it's all said and done, if not QB1, he's going to be one of the top five picks, I think. I'd be stunned if he falls. Stunned. Herbert, also an interesting evaluation. Now, I think he's a very clean quarterback. I like the ball placement downfield. I love, he's got the ability to throw back shoulders like 30, 40 yards downfield on a line. His throw, if you want to just take one throw from a quarterback, his post route on fourth down in their game against Bowling Green last year to open the season, one of the best throws I've seen. Now, there's another quarterback knocking on this door, and that's Jacob Eason from Washington, who had a fantastic game against Oregon early last week. Had a fantastic touchdown on a Mills concept. Safety comes down on the dig, throws the post over the top for the touchdown. He's making some noise too. Fascinating quarterback class, but they're always fascinating. But for me right now, it's Tua, it's Herbert, it's Borrow as the three first rounders. And I, you can make a case with some of the other guys, but those are the three I'm most comfortable saying. Question from Mr. Pink, which I kind of answered in the first part. Uh, Sanu, a more versatile Amendola. I think that's a pretty good comp in a sense. You know, you'll move him around similar to the way they moved around Amendola. You know, I think he's obviously got some size on him that Amendola doesn't have. So I think you might see more of him on the boundary, but it's an interesting comparison. I think they might use him in similar ways at times. Another question from John Limarakis. Is Trubisky on his way out of Chicago this year? If not, how close is he? It's fascinating, you know, studying and following and, and covering another team that isn't New England because it gives me insight into how other fan bases feel about their team. And when I wrote about Trubisky for PFW after their week one loss to Green Bay, when I wrote about some of the warning signs, you know, we're seeing him make the same mistakes that we saw last year. He's not learning. He's staring down routes. I got a lot of pushback on that from Chicago Bears fans. A lot of pushback. Because I wrote in that piece, I said, look, Bill Walsh, and I've used this quote time and time again in my work, but Bill Walsh said, if a quarterback doesn't figure it out by year three, you can kind of figure it out for them that they're not going to get there. They're not going to get to where they need to be. 
It's year three. The clock is ticking. I know it's just week one. He didn't play in the preseason, but he's making a ton of the same mistakes. And a lot of people pushed back, Bears fans. Oh, it's year two, really, because he played for John Fox. And there was a lot of excuses. I crushed him, obviously, this week over a PFW. I crushed him. Peace title, Mitchell Trubisky, The Reckoning. Folks, we have a problem. I even busted out the meme. You know the Tyra Banks meme from America's Next Top Model where it's she's yelling at a contestant who got eliminated? I was rooting for you. We were all rooting for you. That's kind of how I felt. That's how I started the piece because in the stuff I wrote this offseason in the Bears Preview Maggie article I wrote for PFW, I said I'd, I'm betting on Trubisky this year. So, yeah, I was rooting for him. But we live in a meme culture, and it's time to hit him with the memes. He was bad, very bad against New Orleans. And it's the same mistakes. He had Taylor Gabriel, wide open, simple out route to the left. He couldn't keep the throw in bounds. I broke down an RPO play where he gets sacked by Cameron Jordan. Seth Galina did a fantastic Twitter thread that got turned into a moment by the people at Twitter. Got something like 10,000 likes breaking down the same play. And it's a simple RPO and he just has vapor lock. Doesn't throw the ball. He's got people open everywhere. He doesn't pull the trigger. The process and speed, the mechanics, the footwork, it's all bad. If you're Ryan Pace, if you're Matt Nagy, you can't waste this defense much longer waiting for Mitchell Trubisky to put it together. And I know the defense hasn't been great this year, but it's still good enough where you, if you got at least competent play from the quarterback position, you'd have a better shot in this division. So I don't think he's done. I think they're going to ride him out this year. But if this trend line continues, we might be talking about Jacob Eason, Chicago Bear. Because they might not go first-round quarterback, but they might go sometime on day two. And that's not a good sign if you're Mitchell Trubisky. Staying with the quarterbacks, Patrick Brown. Who's a quarterback that's probably a day three guy that you're high on, like the ripping of this season? And... I haven't found that guy yet. I thought it might have been Cole McDonald, the Hawaii kid. He's really faded. Brian the Werke from Michigan State. There's still something there with him, but I don't know if it's ever going to come together. You know, it, it's it. this has the feelings of a top-heavy quarterback class. You might see a ton of guys early, and there might not be some of those sort of day three darling types like me with Brett Rippon or... Some other people, Gardner Minshew, and I like Gardner Minshew. There's a name I'll throw out here, and the guy's had some injury issues, but I studied him a couple summers ago, back after I believe it was his sophomore year. He had a shoulder injury and then a broken collarbone, and that's Case Cookus from Northern Arizona, an FCS school. You know, he's 24. You know, he got an extra year, so he's had some injuries. There's an age consideration here, but he can throw the ball well. He can move around well in the pocket. So I'm not saying he's nowhere near a ripping in my eyes, but somebody I'm going to keep an eye on. And it wouldn't stun me if he got like a Shrine Game invite. So that's a name I'll just sort of throw out there. Andy Likens from the Scotia Slack Shadow. Other than Tom Brady, who's the one quarterback that you would pick for a gutta havoc game, active or retired, college or NFL? And I'll give you a couple of different quarterbacks, active, retired, college, NFL, and elsewhere. From current NFL players, my list is always the same. The top five guys I would pick for a gotta have a game if my life depended on it. It's Tom Brady. I know it said other than Tom Brady, but 
I've got this answer, you know, memorized at this point. It's like a script. It's Tom Brady. It's Patrick Mahomes. It's Drew Brees. It's Aaron Rodgers. And it's Russell Wilson. Those are the five that I'd ride or die with, basically, from active quarterbacks. You can make a case right now maybe Deshaun Watson could get in there. Um, but I think these are the five guys, the, my team's on the floor kind of situation. Retired quarterbacks, it begins with Joe Montana. Like, that's who I grew up idolizing. Like, unbeaten in Super Bowls, I, the record sort of speaks for itself. Now, it's a different league right now, but Joe Montana's on that list. He was, when I wrote over for Waldman's site a couple years ago, a couple summers ago, my team to defend the planet, sort of a Space Jam type scenario, he was the quarterback I picked. College quarterbacks, it's tough to go against Tim Tebow. Now, he wasn't obviously the best prototype or you know prospect at the quarterback position, but he was a winner. He was a gamer. Also, Clemson Deshaun Watson. Give me that kid. Ride or die with him. You know, helicopter himself against Reuben Foster in that Alabama defense. Yeah, that could certainly work. You know, another college quarterback that, let's just say, I kind of have a soft spot for. I don't know. I'm not talking about Jake Faye, my boy over at Wesleyan, although maybe I am. No, go. we'll go back a little bit. Just a little bit. Doug Flutie. Hail Mary. Come on. Hail Flutie. You can make a case for Doug there. You get you a W when you need it. Also, Jonathan Moxon. Why? Look, the Mox is going to have a game plan for you. They'll go the oop-de-oop, go a little five wide on you especially if Lance Harbour's on the sideline sort of calling the plays for him. In addition to Moxon, if it's one game, just one game, especially in bad weather, give me Reno Hightower, come out of the white shoes. Reno could get you a W. So those are some of the quarterbacks for a gotta-have-it game. And now we're going to close things out with one more question. This comes via the Twitter machine. It comes from Philippe von Zuben. I hope I pronounced that right. Who is at Philippe, F-E-L-I-P-E-V-O-N-Z-U-B-E-N, all one word, who is one of the crew members of at any Patriotas, a website slash Twitter site slash podcast about the Patriots down in Brazil. Now, he reached out, Mark, I'm from Brazil, one of the crew members of at any Patriotas, a website podcast about the Pats to Brazilians. We have more than 180 episodes already. I'm only at 31 here. Big props to them. Anyway, I like your podcast and would like to hear you talk about this defense against Lamar Jackson. A mobile quarterback was our kryptonite for a long time. I'm very curious to see what they're going to do this year. Now, first of all, give them a follow, both Philippe himself and at any Patriotas. Show them some love. Thanks for the question. It's a fascinating one and one I've already started to think about even in advance of your question, Philippe, because you're right. You're exactly right. Mobile quarterbacks, Watson, even at times Josh Allen, you know, name it, Marcus Mariota, even go back a bit. You talk about Steve McNair. You know, mobile quarterbacks give most teams problems, but including the New England Patriots. And traditionally, when you think about what you don't want to do against a mobile quarterback, you don't want to play man coverage because guys in the secondary are going to have their backs to the quarterback and all he has to do is get behind that first wave of defenders, get into the second level, and you can run for days. We've seen that before. Blake Bortles, over the past couple of seasons when he was in Jacksonville, caused the Patriots some harm, you know, tucking and going in those situations. In that AFC Championship game, if he saw man coverage, he was taken off. 
And so you don't want to pay man coverage against a guy against a guy like Lamar Jackson, but that's what you do. That's your identity. You cover one, you cover zero looks. And so either you change who you are or you find a way to make it work. And I think that's what they're going to do. You might see some double spies. You might see if, for example, Patrick Chun is back. I don't think as a defense you're worried that much about they're receiving weapons. They do a lot with the tight ends. You can cover those guys with the guys that you have in the secondary. So you might take a Patrick Chun and say, you're one spy, Jamie Collins, you're the other. We're going to basically double Lamar Jackson. Why? This is what Bill Belichick does, right? He makes you fight with your strong hand tied behind your back. So if you're going to be you know, John Harbaugh and you're going to be the Baltimore Ravens, we rely on Lamar Jackson's athleticism. You take it away. You take it away from him. You double spy him. If you're using two guys to cover him, fine. Who cares? Because you trust the other nine to take away their 10. And I know that, look, I am as big a Lamar Jackson guy as you can find. Was one of his bigger advocates during that quarterback class. People might say he was only your QB4. Look, there are people telling him to move to wide receiver. People that get bigger paychecks than I do. And so I was going off there defending him every chance I got. I'm a huge Lamar Jackson fan. I'm hoping to get to that game because, look, it's in my neck of the woods. would love to see it. But I think the idea of making him beat you from the pocket is where you want to be. Because if you turn him into a pocket passer, which he can do extremely well, don't get me wrong, but now he's doing it against your secondary with guys that you know you can cover, like the Mark Andrews of the world. And so I think that's what they're going to do. They're going to stick with their identity. They're still going to be a man coverage team. They're not going to worry so much about Lamar beating them with their legs in in terms of running downfield when secondary guys have their backs to them because they'll double spy them at times. Jamie Collins and Patrick Sean or you know, maybe a Kyle Van Noy and a Patrick Sean or a Van Noy and a Jamie Collins situation. But they're going to make sure that if he wins, it's going to be with the arm. And if he does, look, okay. Sometimes it happens, but they're not going to let them beat them with their legs. So I think that's how they're going to approach it. But it's a fascinating thing to think about. Obviously, we don't want to look past the Cleveland Browns. going to have more on Baker Mayfield and the conundrum of comfort and chaos in tomorrow's show, as well as Jeff Lloyd, the host of Locked on Browns. He's going to come by, talk a little Browns, Pats. So we don't want to look past Cleveland, but that's going to be a big one. That's Sunday night. But what's also big, the beverage waiting for me now that this show is in the can. Going with the uh, the Bon and Viv citrus pack right now. I had a, a pear and elderberry sparkling cells. It was pretty good. I'm still a huge fan of the, the truly the blueberry and Aki. That's probably my favorite one. I know everybody talks about the claws, and they're good, don't get me wrong, but I branch out a little bit. Also, High Noon, they have a vodka Sprite seltzer. They had a grapefruit one, a black cherry one. Those are very good, too. Quite tasty. But like I said, I'm a man. I'm 42. I'm old. Drink what you want, kids. If you like the claws, if you like the Trulies, whatever. If you like it, drink it. Be happy. Kids, that will do it for today. I will be back tomorrow. Like I said, I'm going to talk some Baker. I'm going to talk about the Browns with Jeff Lloyd. Until next time, friends, please do keep on blessing that Patriots reign down at Foxborough.